Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Hi, this is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth. We're pleased that you could join us once again. This is our second episode with our very special guest, Denise Logan. Denise is an author and speaker. She's presented to many groups. I've heard a number of her presentations. She's worked with dental practice owners throughout the U.S. and and general business owners throughout the U.S. and Canada. Denise, we're thrilled to have you with us today. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure, Bob. Well, our topic for today is advisors. So when we are talking about practice owners and perhaps practice sellers, um, choosing the right advisors and and discussing this topic is very important. You work with a wide range of advisors. So how would you advise a seller on selecting a practice broker that cares for their practice transition as much as the transaction itself? I love that question, Bob. You know, so often we'll find that advisors are focused on the transaction. And I always say this is a transition, not a transaction. This is the single largest professional change in most practice owners' lives. Being able to choose someone who has their focus on what you're going through as an owner as you let go is so crucial. Of course, you want someone who is technically proficient, but technical proficiency should be the bare minimum of what you're expecting from your advisor. Someone who's actually willing to care for you and give you the safe space to raise the kinds of things like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself when I leave. Far too often I hear an advisor say, oh, you'll figure it out. You'll have plenty of money. I'm like, that's not a good answer. We want to care for them the same way you care for your favorite uncle. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's hope everyone has a favorite uncle. Uh, (laughs) Maybe you want to be the favorite uncle. (laughs) Yeah. Be the favorite uncle. All right. So I know it's, it's part of your mission to increase the number of advisors that have the ability to care about people because you just described, it's not just about the transaction, it's about the transition. So if you were to guess, what would you say is the percentage of dental practice brokers that are able to put the seller before themselves in a transaction? In other words, the people part of it, not the, not the, the money part of it, and not just the, the, the hard part of it, but put the soft part first. Boy, I sure wish that number was larger than it is. And it really is my mission out there to help owners and their advisors really understand the change 
that's happening, even if we just compare it to the sale of a house, right? So selling a house, you can be excited about that process and then realize, oh, I'm going to miss my favorite Thai restaurant when I move from here. An owner has experienced many of those same things when they're exiting their business. Of course, they're excited to sell. Of course, they're ready to go. And it can be a confusing and a little bit chaotic time. As listeners, don't be hung up about the industry type or the size of the deal that I'm going to talk about. What I find is that owners go through the same emotional arc, whether we're talking about a $50,000 hair salon or a $500 million manufacturing company. That process is the same. So this particular owner was, um, it was an $85 million manufacturing company, and he was eight weeks from the close of his sale. And he suddenly announced he would not take a penny less than nine times EBITDA. Never mind, Bob, that he had already signed a letter of intent at 6.2 times. So the investment banker on that transaction called me and said, I think my seller went crazy. I'm like, yeah, poor fella. Sounds like it. Let's see if we can figure out what happened. So two weeks before he asked for this unicorn of more money, his wife had said, I'm not. So his plan was to sell the business, buy a sailboat, and sail around the globe. Two weeks before, his wife had said, I'm not doing that. I do not want to be stuck on a boat with you far away from my grandkids. That's not happening. Bob, can you and I agree he's not going to come back and tell his deal team that the deal is off because his wife won't let him do what he wants to do? Instead, he asked for more money. You know, what we did in that particular situation was we created a solution where he could buy the sailboat and sail. And every six weeks, his wife would take one grandchild, fly to where he was, and they would do two weeks on land building memories with the grandchild. She would fly home. He would sail on. It was never about the money. Good advisors understand that what their clients are struggling with may not be what they directly say. It may be something deeper. And I think your listeners can understand what this couple was struggling with. You know, we have language for it when our children leave home. We call it empty nest. Where when the last child leaves home, you look across the table at your spouse and you're like, well, who are you? I haven't really, I don't really know you. For many of our clients, their practice is that last child that's leaving home. And so a good advisor is one who is going to be able to relate to the struggles that an owner is facing and give them the kind of space to talk about what's really happening so that they can address those issues instead of simply pushing through and trying to make a deal happen because it's in the interest of the advisor. Well, your, uh, your insight is, is well received there. You know, you and I worked on a project together uh, change the details to protect the innocent. But, uh, you know, it taught me a good lesson. I learned from you on it. And that was um, after you spoke to three partners of a general practice in Cincinnati that we were working with, uh, you found out 
A, one of them was pregnant. B, another one wanted to go to a seminary. And three, another one had some past tragedy in their life that was affecting them emotionally. And, and I knew none of these things. And, and finding out these things uh, and dealing with these unaddressed issues is so very, very important. Um, the, um, um, the next question I have for you is about, it's, it's still related to this advisor topic, but we're gonna switch gears off of this unmet needs uh, issue, uh, but it, it was related to advisors for the reasons we just stated. One thing I wanna ask you about advisors is um, there are some dentists who are interested in selling their practices that they don't wanna use advisors. They're, they're FISBOs for sale by owner practices. Um, and they wanna sell practices without using a qualified broker. What would your thoughts be about uh, dental practice owners who uh, don't choose a qualified broker to assist them? You know, I understand that desire to do it. And I just think in many ways, it's a mistake. So I'll start there. Personally, I think it's a mistake to do it. Unfortunately, the sale of a business is not like the sale of a house. It's not as if we're going to put a sign in the front yard and buyers are going to pull up with sacks of cash and buy the house. And so too often, I think practice owners have begun to think, oh, I can do that. I can save a little money. You know, just the example that you gave, Bob, of the transaction that you and I were involved in, there was so much complexity in what was happening under the surface. And I think for an owner, having a qualified broker handle that transaction for you gives you the comfort of knowing that this is the single largest transaction in your professional life. In no other part of our life, I wouldn't do brain surgery on myself wouldn't extract my own tooth, certainly wouldn't give myself a crown. So in being able to elicit the right help also gives us the space to make sure that when there is a challenge that comes up with the buyer or with the attorney, you have an advocate in your corner. Well, thank you uh, for your answer on that question. So. Uh, here's another uh, item under our section uh, discussing advisors today. Without the right advisor, selling a dental practice can be a frustrating experience, as you just mentioned. We've already discussed the emotional and intangible side of selling a practice can often be the most limiting factor in selling a practice. Like many decisions in life, you have to identify what is the most limiting factor. And in many cases, it is the emotional and intangible side. So we have the two important tangible factors in selling a practice, which are many dentists would say, sale price and best fit. They want the best fit for an associate dentist or, or the buyer, whoever that is who comes in. Uh, the best way to secure both the best price and the best fit is really the number one job of a broker. We've been talking about you know, having a qualified broker assist and the number one job of a practice broker is to build a market for a practice. In other words, find as many qualified buyers as possible. This not only hits the tangible factors, but it hits the intangible and the emotional as well to a certain extent. So FISBOs, FISBOs don't do that. They don't, 
you know, they don't they don't identify as many qualified buyers as possible. You know, dentists are dentists. They're not out there. They don't have a database with 700 buyers. Um, they might run into one person at a CE uh, class or a dental society meeting. FISBOs don't do that. Neither do dental associations. You know, some of the dental associations and societies are having this uh, speed dating thing where they put buyers and sellers together. That's um, Oh, there are all kinds of issues with that confidentiality. Um, you know, if if you're a, if you're a seller of a, a nice practice, that's probably one place you definitely want to avoid. Um, attorneys don't put many qualified buyers together. CPAs don't do it. Dental equipment reps don't do it, and then qualified brokers don't do it. When a seller does not use a qualified broker who can build a good market for their practice. How does that play out with seller emotions and the seller's prospects for a good outcome? Oh, gosh, there's so much in that question, <laughs> Bob. Let's see. One of the biggest pieces is regret. So I always say we want to be able to exit our business and move on to, into the next stage of our life without having regrets. The value of using a qualified broker in the sale of, of any business, but especially a dental practice, is knowing that you didn't leave anything on the table. And certainly, I imagine that most of your listeners, they care about their patients. Many of those patients have been with them for a long time. Maybe they might even be multi-generational. Knowing that the person who is going to come after you will care for those people in such a deep way as you did there is great value in knowing that, especially if you're planning to stay on for an earnout period or just to continue to practice part-time. Knowing that you have the very best fit for you and for your patients and that you're getting the highest value for your practice, there, there is so much value in that. Well, those are two big points that a lot of sellers are interested in. So we get onto this question about advisors in regard to attorneys and CPAs. They're often critical in the process of selling dental practices. And I know you have a, a legal background. What should practice sellers be looking for in attorneys? Oh, in so many ways, the exact same thing that you're looking for in your broker. You wanna know that the person who is involved in this transaction, your attorney, your broker, your CPA, Everyone who is involved is caring for you in this process. You know, I often say lawyers, it's a great training to learn how to be a lawyer. You think differently. But sometimes as a lawyer, what we do is I call it the parade of horribles. You know, we are trained to look for everything that could go wrong. And so sometimes that can be super scary. We'll raise all kinds of things. And I don't practice law anymore, but I know that was one of the things that I've seen in lots of transactions, that the lawyers are pointing out all of the scary things that could go wrong. Well, that's their job. It's also useful to know that you have an attorney who is thinking about your long-term interest and not scaring you out of your wits along the way. Well, we say they're deal makers and they're deal breakers. I had an interesting experience recently where the uh, practice buyer selected two personal injury attorneys <laughs> instead of attorneys that had 
dental practice transition experience and, oh, and it, it was very difficult and confrontational at the beginning but uh, you know we had established a strong uh, basis for the practice uh, selling price and so on and once we uh, uh, had a a um, come to Jesus moment, I guess you could say, was when the seller said, well, this is like, take it or leave it. I mean, if you know, and so once that occurred and the buyer definitely wanted the practice, then we moved forward. And from that point on, the attorney started working with me and actually started relying on me on down the road for information because their buyer wasn't maybe quite as responsive or, or wasn't as accessible as I was. And they were actually asking me what was going on with the loan between the buyer and their lender, which is not really something that I'm uh, necessarily to be a part of, but we were satisfying the information request of the lender and and asking me numerous other questions, and we ended up with a good relationship. And you've probably seen a lot of cases that didn't turn out so well. You know, sometimes there are attorneys that will say such things as, you know, don't talk to my client, and they are just, you know, churning fees and sitting back there and 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 micromanaging everything that could have been handled much easier. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, attorneys are causing chaos uh, and generating more concern. And then many times we work with attorneys and get along great. And uh, uh, if the uh, attorneys have practice uh, sales transition experience, then that's just uh, something that, that turns out to be very helpful. You know, one of the things that I see, Bob, is that certainly it makes sense that sellers would be cost conscious, both buyers and sellers, because when you're engaging counsel, um, you want to make sure that you're getting good advice. Do not think that the least expensive attorney is going to be the least expensive along the way, because you might have an inexperienced attorney, one who is perfectly fine in their other parts of their practice, but have never dealt with a dental practice transition. Your cousin might be a great personal injury lawyer or might handle other things for you, might be a great litigator, but that isn't necessarily the best to help you through this process. So I look, I suggest that sellers look for a couple of things. One, someone who has expertise in this particular process. Two, someone who is collaborative. Are they thinking about long-term objectives as opposed to short-term? You know, you and I know from the process that you that we were both involved in, at one instance, there was uh, some language that came in from an attorney that really made no difference in the transaction, but got everybody sideways. And also, you want your attorney to both, both protect you and not isolate you. So just as you said, sometimes a lawyer will try to insert themselves in the middle. That isn't necessarily really helpful. Do not fall into the process of feeling like you're a victim and need to be rescued by your attorney. Your attorney is someone to help offer you insight, but as the owner, you can trust yourself to know what is right for you. Excellent. My friend and mentor, Larry Chatterley, has shared with buyers before that it's imp so important to pick out an attorney that meets these boxes, checks these boxes that you described, because if, if the buyer's attorney doesn't, then 
or the seller's attorney doesn't, uh, then you know we as brokers are going to end up training the attorneys and spending a lot of time with them, and you know we may or may not have a successful outcome. Denise, I really appreciate you sharing with us today on this episode of Long in the Tooth, and we look forward to you being with us next time. Could you please share your contact information with us? Of course. So it's my website is denise.logan.com, and feel free to email me at denise at denise.logan.com. Great. Thank you, Denise. We'll catch you next time on Long in the Tooth.